Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! So we're in week five of our series we've been in called Extravagant Love, and we have been navigating our way through the parable or the story of the lost son. Now we've kind of gone back and renamed that the prodigal son. So to begin with, I just want to share, I tried to find a picture of of this, but I I couldn't find find a picture. Uh, I wanted to share with you, I think my absolute all-time favorite vehicle that I have ever owned, and I've owned quite a few in my life, is was this little red Nissan pickup truck. It had four-wheel drive, and so I put some big tires on it, and I thought I was something. Um, but what I liked about the truck the most is, is that it was a five-speed. Um, now, I realize that many of you in here have never even been in a five-speed, more or less driven a five-speed. Um, It's one of those vehicles where you have to learn how to work that clutch to be able to start and to stop and to shift gears. I absolutely loved it. Now, my truck was a single cab, which meant I just had one bench seat across. And so whenever two of my buddies would want to go anywhere with me, they would argue about who had to sit in the middle because you had to kind of straddle that gear shift, and it was very, very awkward. Uh, and so there was always a, a fight about who had to sit in, in the middle. Um, those of you who have driven vehicles that are, that are clutch operated, that are five speeds, uh, you probably had the, that moment. When you pulled up to a stoplight, maybe on a slight incline or a hill, and the light turns green, and you want to go, but you start drifting backwards, and you just pray to, to the Lord that that clutch will catch before you hit the car uh, behind you. Or you've been in a, in, a, in a car where somebody didn't know how to drive a clutch, and you've got whiplash still today from it, from that cl- clutch jolting. Um, I love that truck because it was a five-speed. It just made driving more interesting. Well, today's message is entitled, Shifting Gears. Now, I don't know if you have ever heard the phrase. Chances are you've probably used this phrase at one time or another in your life, the phrase, it's time to shift gears. When we say that, here's what we mean. It's time to quickly or abruptly change what we're doing or what we're discussing. So an example that might play out for some of you at work, you could be in a meeting, a staff meeting with your boss, and your boss may say, okay, with that project out of the way, let's shift gears and let's discuss our strategy for the third quarter. See, that phrase is denoting that we're moving on with a new idea, a new thought, a new process, a new strategy. And what I'm going to attempt to do this morning is to show you an absolute gear-shifting moment in the life of this young prodigal son, where he finally wakes up from his sin, and he finally realizes it's time to shift gears. He's going to make this seismic shift with his attitude, and it's going to change everything. And so the application part of this morning's message is, I hope, 
that all of us will be able to make the same shift in our lives because it can totally transform our walk with God. So to begin with, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the story that Jesus is teaching here on the lost son, Luke 15, verses 11 and 12. Here's how the story starts out. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided the property between them. Okay, now we've spent enough time in this story. I think we all kind of know what's going on. The young man wants his money. He wants his freedom. He wants to not only leave his father's house, but leave his father for good. And so he notice the wording here. Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, if you're a parent in here, you realize, especially if you have multiple children, that, that kids are constantly going to be asking you to give you stuff, right? The hand's constantly going to be out. Dad, give me this. I need that. I want to go here. I need money. Mom, give me my allowance. Buy me this. I'm going to the movies with my friend. Can you spot me $20? Give me, give me, give me. Okay, in my house, somebody always needs $20. So every day, I just feel like I need to get up and find $20 because one of them are going to take it for, for something. It's just $20 here, $20 there. Give me, give me, give me. As a parent, you can identify with this a little bit. I don't hear anyone saying amen on that. Can you identify, parents? Yeah. Okay, now, this is on a totally different level here. This young man's not asking for $20. He's asking for his inheritance from his rich father, a large sum of money. He's essentially saying, as we've said week after week, Dad, you're better off to me dead. I just wish you were, would go ahead and die so I can have all of this money. Give me what's coming to me now. And we remember the progression. We've been talking about this progression for a month. He gets his money. Dad divides the estate, and when the dad hands him his money, if this were a movie, you would have Steve Miller playing in the background, go on, take the money, and run, because that's what he did. He got the money. He went to a far, you're going to be singing that all day now, some of you. He went to a far country. He wastes it. He blows it all. He ends up broke. And then you had a, a severe tragedy strike the land, and they weren't just running out of toilet paper. They didn't have any food. There was a great famine, and he was starving to death. So he rents himself out as a pig farmer, hoping to get paid, but up to this point he hadn't got paid yet. So he's watching the pigs eat their food, and he's longing to fill his mouth with pig food. Okay, and then... We, we've read this verse every week of this series, and I want to read it again because this is the most pivotal verse in the entire story. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he, re, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. You know, that, that phrase, when he came to his senses, I don't know what he was doing, and, the, and Jesus doesn't tell us how long. 
I imagine it took a couple years to burn through that money, and I imagine he spent every one of those days of, of those years probably intoxicated. He wasn't in his right mind. He was going from party to party to party. Well, when he didn't have any money to do that, that stuff started leaving his system. And he came back to his true self, to who he was. He wasn't being himself. And then you get to verses 18 and 19. And here is the shifting of gears that I want us to see. Now remember, we're introduced to him. The very first verse of the story, he's going to his dad saying, Gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, I want it. Give it to me now. Look at verses 18 and 19. He's talking to himself. He says, I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And here we go, the money phrase. Make me like one of your servants. You see, again, the whole story starts out with him saying, give me my money. Now he's going to say, make me like a servant. It's this shift from give me to make me that would prove to be a life-changing event for him. A shift that would change everything in his life. And for us, it's a shift that some of us need to make, right? A shift from us saying, God, give me more. And you can fill in the blank because we all have different desires. It's kind of this treating God like a genie in the bottle. Kind of pretending that he is a divine butler to fetch whatever our heart desires. So it's a shift that, that he made that we have to make. A shift from, from that to saying, God, I'm yours. My heart is yours, my time is yours, my talent's yours, my money's yours, I am yours. Make me your servant. See, this is what this young man does. Give me my money to make me your servant. It's a shift from moving from entitlement to empowerment. Moving from God, give me, God, you owe me, God, look what all I have done and sacrificed for you, so now you have to do this for me. Give me money, give me health, give me success. It's moving from that into, God, I am yours, I will follow you anywhere. Use me for whatever purpose you need to use me. I'm yours, God, I am your empowered servant. There's a dangerous gospel being preached right now from the American evangelical pulpit. And I'm going to stand up here and, and admit that I had in the past been part of this problem. Absolutely part of this problem. It's dangerous. It's a gospel that is the give me gospel. Promoting the give me gospel. God, you owe me. You need to give me. It's a gospel that says that we, that you, are somehow the center of God's story. You're the center of the Bible. That, that somehow you're the central character. That you're the hero of the story. That you deserve God to give you this and that. That you are entitled to be blessed because after all, you are you. And who wouldn't bless this? And that message absolutely sells. That we are somehow the central figure of the book. 
that the Bible revolves around us, that the Bible was some, somehow written to help us navigate through this thing called life. The Bible wasn't written for that. Listen, I've got a news flash, and I don't mean to be harsh, but you're not the center of the story. Jesus is. You're not the hero in the story. That would be Jesus. We don't deserve God to give us anything other than death. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. We are not entitled to be blessed by God because we are who we are, but rather we're empowered to be blessed by God because Jesus is who Jesus is. Listen, the Bible was not written to help you navigate through life. It is written to proclaim to you eternal life and the importance of the decision that we're going to make to either follow Jesus or deny Jesus with our words or our lifestyle. And the sooner we can kind of have that pig pen experience that we talked about last week, the young man in the pig pen, helpless, humiliated, hungry, and homesick, until we have that, we're not going to be very well off. It's crazy. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. Because I'm a gimme type of guy with God. Walking around the throne of God talking about gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme this, God. Gimme, I deserve this. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That's been me. Instead of falling on our knees and saying, God, don't give me, make me. Make me a servant. Make me strong. So I can pick up my cross daily and follow you. God, make me deny my mother and father if they get in the way of you. God, make me more like Christ. Make me a servant. I think the problem is most of us have this attitude. It's God, please give me and definitely don't make me. It's not a shift from give me to make me. It's a give me, but please don't make me. Let me give you a few, few examples. God, give me money. Bless me. Pour your showers of blessing on my life. Give me, but don't make me take a Dave Ramsey class. Don't make me get on a budget. Don't make me live within my means. Don't make me tithe. Just give me. Or how about this one? God, give me a great spouse. I mean, I want her to be beautiful, smart, funny. Give me a great spouse, but don't make me put her first. Don't make me love her unconditionally. Don't make me love her like Christ loved the church. Or how about this one? God, give me good health. Health and wealth gospel. Just give me good health, but don't make me take care of my body. Heaven forbid I eat a salad. Don't make me go to the gym and work out. I just want you to supernaturally intervene, and I want like a stomach that I can just take my shirt and just wash it. Washboard abs. I don't even need a wash machine. Just give it to me, but I don't want anything. I don't want you to make me do anything to get it. You know, and on and on we could go, right? So until we move from this give me to make me, we're going to be absolutely stuck where we are. And our walk with God. Remember where the young man was? He's in a pig pen. He's stuck right now. So the application part of this message is simple for us. 
It's for us to shift gears in our walk with God. From give me to make me. It's a shift from being served to being a servant. I want to show you a picture. Um, This is Philip Pillsbury. He's the one in the middle. Philip Pillsbury was the uh, grandson of Charles Alfred Pillsbury. Uh, You know the name Pillsbury very well because you probably eat something that they make every week in your house. It's a huge food company. Philip Pillsbury was the third leader of this company, and he might have been the one leader that the workers liked the most. Now, he had a reputation for liking the finer things in life, fine food, fine clothing. But to his employees, Philip Pillsbury was just one of the troops because he bore the unmistakable mark of a journeyman grain miller. Three of the tips of his fingers were missing. He didn't have to go work in the grain factory. I mean, his grandfather and his dad ran the company, but he did. He wouldn't allow his wealth and his prestige and his position of authority separate him from the workers that he led. He had factory scars to prove it. The term servant leader describes those who serve those they lead. Leaders whose main task is to remove obstacles that might help their followers from succeeding. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of a servant leader. The ultimate example. There's this thing that happens in the life of Jesus where his 12 apostles start talking and then they begin arguing. Uh, they're, they're, they really are like a bunch of kids. Uh, I'm, I mean, Jesus had to shake his head so many times. They begin to argue about who the greatest apostle would be among them. Okay, and so they're going back and forth about why they deserve to be the greatest and why they deserve when Jesus gets his kingdom, they deserve to be his right-hand man, his left-hand man. Okay, and in the midst of this argument, James and John, their brothers, with their mommy, take Jesus to the side and they're talking and they say, Mom, don't you have something to say to Jesus? And their mom asked Jesus, hey, when you become king in your kingdom, can you elevate my sons to leadership positions? One to sit on your right side and one to sit on your left side. They sent their mom to ask that. And they were like 40 years old. When you're 40 years old, your mom shouldn't be asking anything for you. Okay? (laughs) Some of you are like 45 and still live in your mom's basement going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. It's okay to live in your mom's basement. All right. Mark, and so what happens is The other apostles hear about this. They hear that James and John went to Jesus and asked for these elevated leadership positions. And the Bible says that they were mad. In fact, it uses the term indignant, which means they weren't just mad. They were like mad, mad, like irate, outraged. And I want you to note the response of Jesus here. Because it's a response that I need to hear, and I feel like if you are a give-me type of person, maybe you need to hear it too. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. Jesus called them together. I've had to do that with my five. All right, we're going to sit down and have a family meeting about the way what y'all been talking about and how you're acting towards each other. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. 
He called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. So here's what Jesus is saying. Even though we are Jewish, we are living in a Gentile empire. The Romans rule the world, and the way they rule the world is with an iron fist. They will lord it over you. You will listen. You will obey. You will have to do what they say. But look at verse 43. Not so with you. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your, what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is saying it's not about giving you a position of great leadership It's about making you a great servant. It's about making you a person who loves their neighbor like they love themselves. It's about making you a person who treats others how you want to be treated. It's about making you a person who will put the interest and the well-being of others before your very own. It's about becoming a servant who treats all people, even the least of these, with utter dignity and respect. It's about being a servant who serves not out of fear, but out of love that stems from the goodness of God. This is the story of the prodigal. He moves from, give me my money, give me my freedom, give me the desires of my youth to, Father, make me. Make me a servant. I've got an old friend who's a retired Presbyterian minister. And um, he tells this conversation uh, of, that he had with a man after one of his sermons. Um, a lot of times if somebody has something, you strike a nerve with somebody, it's before you get off that stage, someone is up trying to you know, talk to you about what you preached. And, and so I can identify with this. He says, he got done preaching and this man came up to him and he said, you know what? You preachers talk a lot about serving and a lot about giving. But when you get right down to it, it all comes down to the basin theology. And he, my friend that was a pastor said, oh, the basin theology, I'm not familiar with that. What is that? And the man replied, preacher, you remember when Pilate did what he did when he had the chance to acquit Jesus? He called for a basin and he washed his hands of the whole thing. He said, but do you remember what Jesus did the night before he was arrested, betrayed, and crucified? He called for a basin, and he proceeded to get on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples. He says, simple preacher, it all comes down to the basin theology. What basin will a person choose? Which begs us to ask this question, which basin do you choose? A basin is just a fancy word for a big bowl. Um, I, didn't fi- I couldn't find a New Testament basin in the kitchen next door. This is what I found, but it'll do. Which basin are you using? Is it the basin of the world that says, give me, just fill it up, God, fill it, bless me, 
Give it to me. And then if the least of these come around me, I'm not going to share anything. I'm going to wash my hands of it. They're not my responsibility. They're not my problem. I'm just trying to do me. Or would you choose to be the basin of the Lord that says, I will humble myself. I will serve the least of these. I will use my life to serve my King and my Heavenly Father. I will assume the position of Jesus, the position of humility. I'm not standing up on a balcony like Pilate, washing my hands of it. I am on my hands and feet serving my brothers and sisters in this world, trying to show them the love of Christ. The basin theology, which basin do you use? See, when the story begins, the young man is using this one, the worldly one. Fill it, Dad. Give me what I need. I'm out of here. But then he comes back and says, no, no, no. Make me a servant. Let's look at verse 20. I'm running out of time here. This will set us up for next week's message. Luke 15, 20. Remember, he's still in the pig pen. He's going to say, I'm going to move from give me to make me. I love verse 20. It's a pivotal moment in the story. So he got up and he went to his father. That's it for me right there. We've been spending way too much time away from our father. He got up and he went to his father. There's the change. There's the shift. This young man who was sick of home is now homesick. Remember where he was? He's in the pig pen. So he got up and he went to his father covered in manure and mud, embarrassed and ashamed. After all he had done to dishonor his father, to defame the family name, after all the hurt that he had caused his father and his family, he's going to come home to his father. And here's why, I believe. Because in that far country, this prodigal son learned the meaning of misery. But when he gets home, he will discover the meaning of mercy. You remember what the word prodigal means? Wastefully extravagant. And here's what we will find out next week. It is not the son who is the wastefully extravagant one. The story is not about the son. It is the father who is the one who is wastefully extravagant with his grace and his mercy. This story is about a good, heavenly father that loves you beyond comprehension. No matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've been with, it is about the goodness of of our Father. And so I'll leave you with this verse, which will set us up perfectly for next week. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are.
We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.